Hey everybody, thank you for listening this week as we dive into a series that we're calling The Wilderness, A Journey to Obedience, where our prayer is that you would learn God's plan for your obedience and that this will result in a transformed life that would call people to Jesus. Are you ready? Let's lean in. And so on March 18th, if you were like, okay, I'm going to go by Drayton Elementary School because I want some free coffee today because Starbucks line is 87 cars deep. You can come by Drayton Elementary School and you'll see this big white trailer and you'll see, not me because I'm not getting up at 6 a.m., but you'll see Lauren, no, I'm just kidding. You'll see Lauren there because she knows how to make coffee and she's going to be handing out free lattes and everything to teachers. How cool is that? And then you know what? They're going to scan that QR code and they're going to be like, oh man, there's a church down the road. I want to go there. Maybe not, but maybe they'll message us. Maybe we'll have an opportunity. And so these cups are an awesome opportunity for us to love the community, and they're free. How cool is that? Are you guys excited about these? You're not as excited as I am, but I'm really excited about these. When I had this idea, I, this is my idea, by the way. Nobody's taking it. Like this, I, Usually I'm like, yeah, Nick or Lauren or Sarah or uh, somebody on our staff who's better than me had this idea. This one's all mine. Like, I was sitting there, and I, you know what would be cool? Free cups. And, there, and I was like, how do we do that? And then Nick and Grayson came in, right? And then they were like, okay, we can make that happen. And so uh, we got these cups, and I'm super excited about them. I've been telling everybody about them. Like, I meet a person on the street, and be like, hey, do you know pretty soon you'll be able to get a free cup from my church? And they're like, I don't care. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so anyways. So they're not excited about them as I am, and I can tell you guys are also not as excited about them as I am, but I'm going to help it build up over the next few weeks. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will spring up in you in like a well and get you pumped about these cups, right? And so God is doing some great things here, y'all. He really is. He's been on the move this week. He's been on the move last week. He's on the move every week. But God has prevalently been showing up in our midst recently. And we've had a lot of people come into relationship with Jesus. We have a lot of people taking a step of baptism. And we have a lot of new people in discipleship. If you're not in discipleship, come talk to me afterwards. We'd love to talk to you about what that would look like for you. It was so cool. I had a 45-minute conversation this week with multiple people, different 45-minute conversations, talking to them about the way that the Lord is bringing an influx of people and we're actually running out of disciples. That's exciting. You guys are like, but that's an issue. No, it's not. God's going to supply if we continue to work the harvest, right? And so God is just making a big move for us, and we have so many people about to enter into discipleship for the first time, and in six months from now, they're going to be a leader in this church. Man, Mac did a good job with Sarah, Grace, and Corey this morning, leading worship for the first time here in our church, and uh, just seeing a young leader grow and getting that opportunity. How awesome is that? See, that's, that's what we're about here, developing leaders to fulfill the ministry that God has called them to. See, a lot of you have amazing potential inside of you that has just never been tapped because nobody's ever said that they see it inside of you. Because to see potential inside of somebody, to see the giftedness inside of somebody, it takes time and investment. And when we invest and we spend time with people, we see the ways that they're uniquely gifted. That they're uniquely gifted by God to do the work of the ministry. You guys know it's interesting, but there's a man named Martin Luther. Do you guys know who Martin Luther was? Not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther. Martin Luther King was actually named after Martin Luther, though. Super interesting story. His dad actually changed his name to Martin Luther because he became so, so invigorated by the teachings of Martin Luther. But there's a man named Martin Luther. 
And Martin Luther believed in what is called lady ministry, laity ministry. And so he believed that there was certain people who were called to be pastors and priests. And Martin Luther lived during the 1500s. He was a big part of the Reformation that happened inside the Catholic Church. And he wrote, some of you may know, something called the 95 Thesis. And this was a, not a rebuke, but a desire to hear why the church was doing the things that they were doing the way that they were doing them. And so Martin Luther started this process, and now there's a whole denomination named after him today. It's called Lutheranism. Uh, Martin Luther would not super be happy with Lutheranism, how it is today, because something called piety, and we can get into that later. Uh, but Martin Luther, his desire was for the workers, the priesthood that God has called us all to be, to do the work of the ministry. And so he spent time with the lowly. He spent time with the uneducated. And people actually got on him and said, he must be an idiot for investing all his time in these people who are unlearned, uneducated, and who have no abilities. And Martin Luther said, everybody has an ability, they just don't know they have it because nobody's ever spent the time with them to see the potential that's inside of them. And so Martin Luther started investing all these people, and it just was a huge outpouring, and it led to some amazing ministry. Martin Luther has his bad qualities also, and you can read about those, or we can have a conversation about those. But Martin Luther, for the most part, did the work to equip saints for the work of the ministry. See, that's my only job as a pastor, is to equip you to do ministry. And you're like, no, Ricky, you have a lot of... No, I don't. My only job, my only responsibility that God has given me is to equip all of you to do the work that God has called you to. How awesome is that? How exciting is that? Because you may think that you don't have a lot of potential, but you have more potential than you could ever imagine because Christ died for you, and Christ longs for you, and he desires to see you be equipped. We're going to look at the book of Ruth for the next eight weeks. Any of you who know anything about Ruth, you're like, Ruth is only four chapters, Ricky. Eight weeks? Trust me, I've heard it this week. I've been like, hey, we're going to do Ruth for eight weeks. And people are like, it's only four chapters. What are you going to preach on? I'll preach on Ruth for eight weeks. Next week, I'm only preaching on one verse. How exciting is that? Yeah, you guys don't seem very excited. It's going to be an hour and 45 minutes on one verse. No, I'm just kidding. It's going to be an hour. And anyways, so... Ruth, though, is this amazing story of somebody that people did not see potential in, somebody that people looked at as uh, slaves or as worthless, and God used them for amazing things because of one man's sacrifice. See, we're in this Easter season. We're working up toward Easter. Everything in Easter, you see, the real reason why we celebrate Easter, because it's one man's sacrifice for the world. Christ died so that we could have this potential that I've been talking about that is contained inside of him and inside of the Holy Spirit that he has given us. So often we forget that through Christ we can do all things, right? You guys may quote that verse every once in a while, Philippians 4.13. I have the power to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, the all things thing that that's talking about is serving the Lord and loving other people, right? That's what that all things is, Christ has prepared you in such a way through his death and his resurrection so that you can be set free from your bondage. And so in Ruth, we're going to see the story evolve of one woman. See, a woman, we're going to look at a woman who was used in an amazing way through Christ. And then we're going to look at a bunch of other women who were used in an amazing way through Christ. Because so often we forget that women can be used by God, right? 
So often we forget that women have the potential to be used by God. Can they be a pastor? By no means, but they can be used by God in amazing ways. They can serve in amazing ways. They can teach in amazing ways. We forget that women have all the potential that men have. And we don't allow their gifts to flourish within the church. I'm not going to get on a big rant about women. But for those of you who don't know, our church started with 15 women and two men. Me, Taylor, and then 15 women. <laughs> if our church not, would not have started with 15 women, I don't know if we would have been here. I'm serious, because those women worked harder than everybody else. I could have had 15 men, and you know what it would have been? Annoying. Because we're lazy. And we don't do things. But those women, they get stuff done, right? It's the divine mystery, God, sometimes. And how he works and how he uses people. We're going to look at Ruth now. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your strength to preach your word, Father God. Thank you for everything that you've called us to be. Thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection, Father God, and that you're still actively with us. That you haven't created and then taken your hands off all things, but you're actively working in the world in which we live. And you've given us a great helper in your Holy Spirit to continue the work that was started by your son Jesus within 12 men, within 72 men, within with 300 to thousands to 3,000 to millions. Father God, all that came from the work that you started on earth way before even Jesus father God when you were planning on starting the work you were already preparing hearts to see the son of God father God we thank you so much for your word we thank you so much for the opportunity to be used by you to fulfill your great commission to go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the father son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey the commands that I have taught you and then I'll be with you to the ends of the age thank you for this call thank you for your word thank you for your sacrifice in Jesus name amen so open your bibles to Ruth if you don't know where Ruth is, it's right after Judges, and it's right before Samuel. If you don't know where Samuel is, and you don't know where all the other stuff is, then just turn the front of the Bible, and there's like a little... I know I used to be embarrassed because like people aren't going to think I'm a Christian because I don't know where all the books of the Bible are, right? You can use the index, the what is it? You can use the table of contents. I think a table of contents is in a paper, but I don't know. I'm not really sure. So Taylor's smarter than I am. And so if you'll turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1, we're going to be right there. Okay, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Who are the judges? Do you guys know who the judges are? So the judges were the men and the women that God had called to lead Israel when they were without a king. The only king that they had was God. And so the judges are actually accounted in Scripture. There's the book of Judges. If you guys are in the action movies, like you really like Die Hard, and you want to start reading the Bible, read Judges. You'll be like, oh my gosh, Die Hard came from the Bible. Right? Because that's what judges were. Like, there was a woman judge named Deborah. She was awesome, and she had a companion who was a man, and he was supposed to help her. Guess what? He did nothing. And he was like, Deborah, I'm scared to do what God has asked me to do. Will you go with me? Like, it's like Titus when he's scared to go upstairs. He's like, Ellie, it's daylight outside. There's no reason for me to be scared, but I need my tablet. Can you go with me? right? That was Deborah, and Deborah was like, yeah, let's go. We're going to wipe out the village, right? And so it, it was super cool. And then there was uh, Samson. Many of you have heard the story of Samson and his hair. He was a judge, and he was awful, but God used him for amazing things. Uh, there's uh, Gideon. Have you guys ever heard of Gideon from the Bible, from the book of Judges? He was scared of everything. He was so scared that he did his farming inside. He would go outside and run back inside. 
Like he's like, I don't want to be outside. There's too many temptations and people who will kill me outside. Right? Some of y'all feel that. Like every time you walk in Walmart, you're like, oh gosh, everybody's trying to kill me. <laughs> everybody's trying to murder me here, right? They want that last bag of Tostitos chips. So like, it, it's just a mess. And so Gideon was like that. He was scared of everybody. They literally call him the yellow belly of the Bible or the scaredy cat of the Bible. Guess what? It never got any better with Gideon. But he was a judge, and God used him in amazing ways. See, the judges were the ones who would get Israel out of, through God, out of their disasters that they got themselves into. See, God would send a judge, and they would free Israel from all their pain and their suffering. And then Israel would be like, you know, what we were doing before wasn't that bad. Let's get back into that business. And then they get back into the business, and then they'd be like, oh, God, we messed up. Send a judge. And God just kept doing it and doing it. And so the judges are the accounts of those who would come and set Israel free. So Ruth is set in the time of the judges, which means there was no king except for God. So this is when this is happening. That, that puts a historical context for our scripture right there. And there was a famine in the land. Man, when you read the Old Testament, isn't it seem like there's a famine every three months? There was a famine in the land, so Abraham left. There was a famine in the land, so they left. There was a famine. There was a famine. See, the famines were often results of geographical issues. There would be no rain or disobedience or whatever the case may be. But famines a lot of times were used in Scripture to help people realize that all they needed was the Lord. And so there was a famine in the, in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, often we hear these terms in the Bible, Moab. What is Moab? Well, Moab was the land inhabited by the Moabites. What are Moabites? See, Moabites came from a dude named Lot. Do you all remember Lot from the Bible? Remember this was Abraham's uh, uncle from Genesis? And Lot, if you know Kanye West, Lot's wife got turned into a pillar of salt. For looking back, y'all ever heard that in Kanye songs? I don't listen to Kanye. Taylor told me about that. So, <laughs> anyways, so, <laughs> anyways, so that is in some songs though. But he got turned into a <laughs> Lot's wife looked back at Sodom and Gomorrah when they were leaving, and so Lot's wife got turned into a pillar of salt for being disobedient and looking back at what she used to have instead of what God had laid before them. It was disobedience. And so Lot and his daughters went and lived in the wilderness. Lot's daughters got worried about God's provision, so they actually tricked their dad into having babies with them. Now it's getting real weird, I understand. But Lot, this was disobedient. God did not approve of this. And so they had children, and Moab was one of those children. So the Moabites came from disobedience and from not trusting the Lord's plan. And so the Moabites caused problems for Israel throughout history. And so Moab was a place that was really marked by disobedience. And so Moab was known for their disobedience to God. Moabites and Israelites often got in wars and they left Bethlehem to go there because there was a famine in the land. Does anybody know what the word Bethlehem means? It's pretty cool. It means city of bread. So they left the city of bread to look for food. It's interesting, right? 
Because you're like, this word, this name of this city actually means the city of bread. Now, the city of bread has a lot of implications, right? Because what was Jesus? He was the bread of life. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. See, even in the Old Testament, Bethlehem had these huge implications for the kingdom of Israel and God's plan. And so they left the city of bread, much like Abraham had left uh, his whole family and then left the land of Canaan that God had called him to. And he went down to Egypt. And remember, Abraham got in a lot of trouble in Egypt because he went looking for nourishment. All that's powerful. You leave the city of bread looking for nourishment because your plan didn't go how you foresaw it going. How often does that happen to me? How often does that happen to you? Where we are knowing God is going to provide something for us, but it doesn't happen on our timetable, so we go looking for the way to provide it for ourselves. And sometimes that's God closing every single door. Has that ever happened to you? You're like, I know God wants me to do something else. I know this isn't working out. And so you're like, I'm going to try every single door. And you send off this and you send off that. And God doesn't allow anything to work out. You know why God's not allowing to work out? Because he wants you to sit and be still because he's preparing something for you. And if you're not still, then you're going to get into trouble because you're not ready for what he's prepared for you because you're going to miss it because you're focused on something that he didn't call you to. See, so often that happens to us. We go looking for bread when in reality we don't always need the physical food. Sometimes we just need the spiritual nourishment. Y'all feel me? God's not always concerned with our bellies. I know that's our main concern. Bobby's not here. Ah, shoot. And so if you know Bobby, like, where are we going to go get wings? Like every five seconds, right? So the only thing on Bobby's mind is only always wings. And so because he's, he's wanting those wings, he, he likes those wings, they, they bring him some joy, right? We're always focused on our bellies. We're always focused on our jobs. God, what do you want to do here? God, how am I going to be used here? God, how, when are you going to bring me to a new place? When are you going to bring me to a new city? When are you going to give me a new job? We look for those physical uh, manifestations of God instead of sitting and trusting that God's preparing a path. See, that happens to me all the time. I'm like, God, I want to do this. And God's like, no. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm going to try again. God, I want to do it. And he's like, no. And then I'm like, okay, God, one more time. I'm going to try again. No. He blocks me to protect me. So if something in your life is not working, it's not because you're not blessed. It's because God's got a different plan for you, and he's trying to show you some bread instead of you going and looking for it by yourself. See, they left the city of bread and went to the city of disobedience. Man, that's powerful. God had a plan for them, but the one hiccup happened in the road, so they went looking for something that could bring them what they thought they needed. Oh, man. How often does that happen to you? One hiccup leads you into another direction. One hiccup leads you into a bar where you can find satisfaction in somebody else. One hiccup leads you into a relationship that you thought was good, but in reality it's not because that man or that woman doesn't love the Lord. One hiccup led you into a search to find yourself when in reality you already knew who you were. You just couldn't find it because you weren't looking in the right place. You were looking in who you were instead of who God made you to be. See, so often we let those hiccups or we let ourselves be defined by what we do. So we, we often say, well, this is who I am, and we find our worth in that. What, we, what you do is not your worth. What you do, your worth is in the bread of life because that's who you were called to be. That's who God made you to be. He made you to be the bread of life through him, through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. He made you to find all of your contentment, all of your identity inside of him. Because what happens when we try to find our identity in something else? We always fail and we always end up miserable looking for something. 
right? We try to find our satisfaction in a person, or we try to find our satisfaction in a position, or we try to find our satisfaction in a place, and then we always get messed up because we couldn't just learn to be content in the moment and let God show us what the plan was. Sometimes God's got a very direct plan. You're just not willing to hear it because you're not ready to hear what he's got to say. Now, Elimelech, that's a cool name. Our next son's going to be named Elimelech. No, I'm just kidding. Sarah's like, when did we say we were having a son? Tomorrow. Now, Elimelech, if, I'm just going to be real. If I found a kid, like, anywhere, I'd be like, okay, you're coming home with me. Like, you seem like you don't have parents. Uh, no, anyways. So, now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. So, they go there as a family. Now, Naomi, which means pleasant, Elimelech dies. And she was left with her two sons. Now she's a single mom. Some of y'all know how that is now. She's a single mom trying to be with two sons. And then they married Moabite women. Okay, now this was strictly forbidden intermarrying right here. So now the sons of the tribe of Judah are marrying Moabite women. One named Orpah and other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years... Both Melhan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So they go looking for bread. They go looking for nourishment, and all they find is heartache. We're not really sure why they passed away, but there's a lot of implications that could lead to why they passed away. We know that in the book of Leviticus, we get the law, and a lot of the law is to preserve the nation of Israel. And so maybe they were eating pork that couldn't be heated to the right temperature and they died of that bacteria that was found in there because they weren't in the land of Israel setting themselves apart. Maybe they were getting mixed up and eating uh, food sacrificed to idols and a lot of those foods were not healthy for you. Maybe they were not washing their hands before they were uh, eating and that was leading them into some uh, bacteria and stuff that was growing inside of them. See, God set the Israelites apart through the law and the law was a way to preserve the country, to preserve the ones that God has called to be his own. And so we're not really sure why they died, but to me, it would be, a, this is a Ricky Wilson interpretation, but to me, there looks like a lot of implications to suggest that they left the Lord's land and therefore they left the protection of the Lord and went into seeking their own nourishment and seeking their own ways. And so they got entrapped in, this, in these lies and they started to follow these false gods and then that led to their demise. And so now it's just Orpah, Ruth, and Naomi. Now you guys got to understand, back then to be just three single women, that was not good because you had no husband to take care of you. Now, back then, and this is not today's culture, but back then, the man provided for the wife. That's what it was. And the only way to get a job was to have a husband who would provide for you. And then when you became a widow, your church would provide for you. She didn't have a church because she wasn't in the land. She didn't have a family because she wasn't in the land. So now it's just her. She basically has no money, no food. So she went looking for nourishment and found nothing except for heartache. beauty that's in that you go looking for the nourishment and all you find is that there's nothing to feed you that's so good that is so good because how much of the time do we look for those false things to satisfy our hunger how often do we look for money to satisfy our hunger you got it's tax season all y'all got that little app on your phone checking where that tax return is you're like, yes, it's coming. Taylor's doing it 14 times a day. They only update it one time a day. 
They say that on the app. Don't check multiple times a day. It only, it only takes once. Taylor's like, man, I got to get that money, right? Aren't you? Don't even lie to me. I know. Yeah, it, well, yeah, you're going to sacrifice some, but you're looking for that money. You're like, okay, I, 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 it's, it's coming. I want it. How many times a day are you checking that app? See, checking the account 10 times a day, right? And so I'm doing the same thing because I got a tax return coming. For the first time in five years, I'm not paying taxes. Praise the Lord, right? But me and Taylor, we're on the same boat. We're like, we're going to get that money. We gotta, where's that money? Like, it's not in my bank account yet, right? Like, I need that money in my bank account. Some of y'all don't even got anything coming in your bank account, but you're hoping magically something will end up in your bank account. Right? So you're checking it like 100 times a day. You want that nourishment. They're like, yeah, my uncle might die, and maybe he'll randomly send me some kind of an inheritance. Or maybe you gave money to a, like a king in India or something like that, and they're supposed to send you that $28 million after you send them the 2800 and you're just waiting on that. Be like, oh, gosh, it's coming soon. He told me. He was a king. He knows what he's talking about. Right? Y'all ever get those emails? I got one last week. The prince of Egypt wanted to send me $10 million. All I had to do was send him 10000 I only had 8000 so I sent it off to him. So I'm waiting for that $8 million, right? So, no, I'm just kidding. People at the bank get tricked into that, right? So anyways, so uh, we're, we're always searching for that because we know that if we have that, it'll make us feel more at peace. It'll make us feel more comfortable. We know that in relationships, sometimes when we try to find that significant other, that that'll bring us some kind of identity. So you try to find your identity in your wife or your husband or your significant other, and you try to make yourself feel complete. You're looking for that nourishment. If I could just have somebody who loves me, I won't feel so d- distraught all the time. I won't feel so depressed all the time. If I could just find that person who makes me whole, there's no person who can make you whole. It's only Jesus. But that's looking for that false nourishment, that bread that you feel like will feed you. Or you're like, oh, I, I have to find that person. And to find that person, i got to be out. So I need to go to the bar. I need to go to X, Y, and Z, and I need to find them. And I have to make myself look a certain way so they'll like me. Or if, I, they don't, if they don't see me looking like this, they won't like me. And that causes you stress and anxiety. And you're searching, and you say, okay, all I have to do is find that. Or you find it in your job, and you're like, I just got to work harder. If I work harder and become a success, then one day everything will be taken care of. And then you work hard, you become a success and guess what? You're still searching for the nourishment because it hasn't brought you enough. So if you got one business, you're like, now I need two. If you got two businesses, now you need three. If you got one position, you need the one above you. And you're waiting for that person to step down. You're like, oh gosh, this person just needs to step down so you can get that next spot. We're always looking for the next thing because we're never satisfied with what God has brought us. And we never take the time to enjoy the bread in which he has given us. And so Naomi goes looking for that bread, ends up with heartache and in a worse position than she was. Now she's got to leave the life that she thought was going to bring her, everything she thought she needed, and she's going to go back to the place she should have always been. How awesome is that? Because that place is always there. You can be looking in every direction. You can be looking under, for, under every rock for your identity, but your identity has always been in the place that it was always told to be, Jesus. So they're left. They have no money. They have nobody to provide for them. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing the food for them. <sighs> Listen to that again. Let me play that back. When, they, when they, Naomi heard in Moab, so she, she's in Moab, she hears from Bethlehem that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. She goes looking, and God's already provided. And so now she's sitting in her pit, 
And she's like, man, if I would have just waited, it's already there. So she prepares to go back to the place because the Lord always provides. Sometimes you just need to sit and be still and God's going to provide exactly what you needed. But you got up and started working instead of waiting for him to provide exactly what you needed. Now, I'm not saying just sit around and do nothing. I'm saying sometimes if there's not a clear path, all you need to do is sit and wait. All you need to do is talk to the Lord. All you need to do is let him give you the direction. Let the body of Christ come around you. So they prepare to go back. With her due daughters-in-law, she left the place where she was, had been living, and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now they're on the journey. They're on the path to where they've always supposed to be. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands as to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And so back in Israelites' time, when your, when your husband passed away, there would usually be a brother who would then take the place of your husband. They would give you kids. See, they didn't have any kids, so they didn't have anybody to continue on the family line. And so Orpha and Ruth had to feel like failures. They didn't have husbands, and now they didn't have children. And so they, they were probably desolate. They were probably broken and saying, what is my life even about? We don't have any of these things. So Naomi, knowing the mind of a woman, says, go back to your mother's home and find another man in this country because I have no more sons to give you. Leave me and return to your parents' homes so that you can have a life. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. They don't want to leave. They're connected. But Naomi said, return, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons? I have no more sons to give you. Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters, and I am too old to have another husband. I'm past it. I'm, I'm just going to live this single life for the rest of my life. You return home. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Are you going to wait another 20 years to have a husband? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Okay, so Naomi's telling her daughter-in-law, go back home. I want you to have a life. And she's looking at herself and be like, there's no chance for me. I'm too far gone. God's hand has turned against me. I've been disobedient, and now it's all over for me. It's all done for me. You guys go back, and you have a life. See, Naomi's got a little bitterness in here right about God, right? She's like, God's hand has turned against me. He no longer loves me because he's led me into a place where there's nothing that I thought I would have. Oh, that's interesting, right? Because did God do the leading to Moab? Did God do the leading to Moab? Did God show up to Naomi and Elimelech and say, hey, go to Moab? No. But sometimes we lie to ourselves and think that every decision that we make is God's will for us. Now, God works everything together for his good, so it becomes his will. But so often we make the decisions. God doesn't lead us anywhere. We make decisions to go places that harm us. And then we get upset with God because we've been harmed. See, we, we, make our, we have free will. We make our decisions. We make our choices. 
When we end up somewhere and it doesn't feel like God's there, it's because we chose to go there instead of follow the path that He had laid out for us. So she says, go home. God is against me. It says, then they wept loud again. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah's going to go back. She's like, I'm going to have a life. I'm out of here. Like, I love you. I think you're awesome, but I gots to go, right? I'm still a young woman. I'm going to go back home. But it says, Ruth clung to her. Ruth knew that there was a reason that she needed to be with her. Ruth could not just give up on her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. See, back then, the where you were from determined who your God was. The Israelites had a God that had set them apart. The Israelites' God was unique because he spoke to them and gave them direction. And so she says, go back to your false gods. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you, will, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And here's the cool part. And your God, my God. And she uses the word Yahweh right here. She says, I know your God. You may think he's against you, but I know this is what he's calling me to. To be somebody to you, to love you, to walk with you. God's going to use me for something to help you. And so your people will become my people. She's basically saying, I want to be adopted into your culture. I want to be adopted by your God. I want the Israelites to be my people. I no longer want to be defined by a Moabite. I wanted to be defined as the ones that God is using. And I want to make myself a tribute for God. Where you die, I will die. If you're going to die, I'm going to die with you. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me. Okay, she's now even used. May Yahweh deal with me. Be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. You're serious about this. You come with me. So the two women went on their way until they came to Bethlehem, the city of bread. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? So they recognize her. They're like, this is the one who left with her family to go looking for the nourishment that was always here. Can this be Naomi? She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. She told them, call me Mara, because the almighty God has made my life very bitter. So she says, my name is no longer even good for me. God is so much against me. I am just a bitter woman. Call me bitter. Call me bitter. Have you ever heard of people who just sit in their own self-pity? Oh, my life is like this. I can't do it. All this happened to me. I can't do it. Or this is the way it happened. Or you haven't been through what I've been through. You haven't seen what I've seen. There's no way that you can know God if you've been through what I've been through. Well, you haven't been through what I've been through. I haven't been through what you've been through. That's what makes God so great is he doesn't pick people. He lets everybody come to him. See, we get so caught up in our own self-pity. Oh, I don't have this. Or uh, God gave me a flat tire. God did not give you a flat tire. You ran over a nail. That's how you got a flat tire. God was like, man, this person is such a jerk. Put a tire in the middle. You think God's got time to put a tire, a, a nail in the middle of the road for you to run over? God's not out to get you. Na- God was not out to get Naomi. Naomi chose her own path. Just like you chose to go down the road that had the nail in it. Because you have free will to do those things. Now God works everything out and God is in control of everything through his sovereignty. But she's so bitter, she says, call me 
by my bitterness. Sometimes we get caught up in that lie too. Call me by my sin. Call me something that harms me so I can think that I have no potential and I can continue to live where I want to live and I can continue to do the things I want to do. Call me these things so I continue to believe the lies that everybody has told me my entire life so that I choose to remain in the dog pit when I can have the kingdom. Call me these things so that I can be reminded that I'm worthless. And you say, I don't want to be worthless. So many of us want to be worthless because being worthless is easy. We can just do anything we want to do. But when you know that you're purposed, when you know that God has chosen you, you know that he's going to use you, but you know you can't just remain where you've been, and that's scary for you because change is scary sometimes. Just like Ruth, she was leaving something she always knew for something that was going to be different, but she knew that the God of Naomi, the God of Elimelech, was going to take her and use her. And she said, I submit to you, Lord. And so she knew that God wanted to do something great, so she sacrificed everything to follow it. Sometimes we've got to quit living in our self-pity and follow the kingdom of God and what he's called us to. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Went away with a family, came back with nothing. Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. playing the blame game here. God has done this. God has done it. Why is God doing this to me? Why has God put me here? So often we forget that our parents make decisions that define our lives. And then we make decisions that define our lives. And God is trying to work all those things for good, but when we continue to look at the things that's going to make us happy, when you, we continue to look for the nourishment, God can't even get in there and get it corrected because you're so busy trying to mess it up. We are self-sabotagers. You guys ever heard of the word procrastination? You know what procrastination is? Self-sabotage. You procrastinate because you don't think you're good enough to get what the work's going to get you. You procrastinate because you don't feel like you're worthy of what God wants to give you. We don't jump into the Word because we don't feel worthy, and we make excuses like we just don't understand it. Well, you, can't, you, you do not have that excuse if you're in this building because there's someone who's willing to walk with you through the Word of God. Or we make excuses, I can't share the gospel because I don't know enough or because I'm not gifted that way. Well, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. You can certainly do it. God has gifted you. He's purposed you. You may be looking for every excuse so that you can continue to live in just this much God, but God hasn't called you to just this much. He's called you to the fullness of who He is. Just like Naomi, she was saying, hey, it's because of God that I'm here. It's not because of my decisions. I don't want to take responsibility for my sin, so I'm just going to say it's all about God. See, she may have thought she was doing something good for her family, but she never asked the Lord, and she never trusted that He could provide something out of nothing. And so she went looking for it. See, you may say, well, I'm making this decision for my family. You're not making a decision for your family if that decision is not rooted in God. If your decision for your family is not rooted in God, then you've made the wrong decision. We can see that. There's history to prove that to us. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. Arriving in Bethlehem, 
as the barley harvest was beginning. You may think, why does that matter? Because the harvest was coming. The harvest was coming. The Passover was coming. The Passover was the pre-incarnation picture of Christ and him dying for us, the blood covering the doorways. She returned to Bethlehem when it was time for the harvest. Even though she went away, God brought her back at the right time. Even though she was disobedient, God brought her back at the right time. Even though she was looking for everything to please her, God brought her back at the right time. And God's going to set up a story for us through the next three chapters where we see why God brought her back at this time. The time when the barley was coming in the harvest. See, there was no food, and now it's ready to be harvested. Now it's ready to be harvested. And so a worker comes back when the barley is ready to be harvested. Because even though she was gone, God brought her back at the right time because God loves all of his people. And even though we look for bad for ourselves, God always has a good plan for us. Even though we try to do everything ourselves and it ends up with us falling on our faces, God brings us back at the right time because God's never disappointed. God's never upset. God's always looking to bless us even when we look to the cosmic fortune for ourselves. So he'll bring you back right at the right time. He'll bring you back just when you thought you needed to be back. He'll bring you back exactly at the time that he had purposed to bring you back. He'll bring a foreigner with you. Someone who was a Moabite. See, they call her Moabite every single time it's the Moabite came back with Ruth. See, she was um, uh, mocked and she was defined by where she came from. Now that's soon going to change because as we go through this, we're going to see that then we only see her referred to as Ruth. As Ruth. The one who is accepted and the one who is loved and the one that God is going to use. Y'all, you don't even know how awesome that one verse is going to be next week. Because God is going to take us a journey, right? Remember the tribe of Judah is where they came from. It says they were Ephratites, which is a fancy word for the clan of Judah. You know who comes from the clan of Judah? Jesus comes from the clan of Judah. Jesus, but his family line sucks. We're going to get into that more next week. You're going to see just how bad. You, if you're sitting here and think I can't be used, you got to come back next week because you're going to be used in ways you never imagined. If you're sitting here today and you're in this self-pity of, man, God is against me. God is not against you. You're against yourself in a big way. Have you ever heard you're your own worst enemy? You're your own worst critic. That is a fact. Sometimes we mess our lives up so bad wanting to do things that are so good. Y'all feel me? You, you probably have good intentions in your heart most of the time, like at least 15% of the time. You probably have good intentions for yourself. But if we're not rooted in God, everything we're going to do is going to be without the power that he has called us to. Everything. God gave you a gift by giving you the ability to live life with him. To make every decision based in him. Seek first the kingdom of God and all other things will be added. You may be living in a self-pity and a self-doubt. Now, man, you're amazing. You want to know why you're amazing? Because Jesus died for you just at the right time when the wheat was ready, 
just at the right time when the harvest was plentiful. Jesus called you back into his fold so he could provide everything you thought you needed, so he could show you what you really needed, so he could comfort you and embrace you, just like he's going to do Naomi and Ruth, so he could wrap you up. See, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he shows his love for us. We've all sinned. We've all made mistakes, but Christ still chooses to love us. Some of you have made that decision to follow Jesus. Some of you haven't, and some of you are tricking yourselves into thinking that you're doing it. No matter the case, you all need discipleship. You need someone to walk with you. That's what Naomi and Ruth are setting up for us here. Y'all see that? Naomi and Ruth needed to be connected. They couldn't live life alone. We see that another time in the book of Genesis when there was a dude named Adam. And God was like, I've called this man to lead. But he needs somebody to lead. And he's going to do it really bad, but my grace is going to be sufficient for him. And so he took his rib and he gave him what was her name? Eve? Is that what it is? Evie? Is it Evie? It's Evie? Okay, so Adam and Evie, right? No, it's Eve. And so he said, this man is not good to be alone. That's literally what he said. This man is not good for him to be alone. So he created with him Eve. And he put them together and made them one flesh again through marriage. And so they had each other to live life together. To walk with each other. Just in discipleship, you all need somebody else in your life who can speak truth into you. You need someone who can love you and walk you through the word of God. Because I'll tell you what, you get into most trouble when you try to do everything alone. Because you weren't created to be alone. You're created to be with God. And he knew that in such a way that he put his money where his mouth was. And he said, you're separated from me. If you just have me, though, I can fix everything. So he says sin separates you. That's this big barrier that we have of disobedience. And he said, I want you back. So he gave us the law, which he knew we couldn't fulfill because we try to do stuff alone and we think we know best. And so he said, I'm going to make it basically idiot proof. So I'm going to send Jesus and he's going to wipe it out because that's the only one who can really do it. So he sent Jesus to die for us so that we can reconcile with God so that we can live life together. And then he gave us the body of Christ so that we can live life together in an even better way. And then he said, I want you to follow me. Keep my commands and seek me. Don't lie to yourself in thinking that if you're not following the commands of Christ that you're with him. You're not. You're against him. That's the plain, simple facts. And if you want to talk to me about that, you come up to me and I'll show you why you're wrong by scripture. If you're not going to keep the commands of Christ, then you ain't following Christ. If you don't keep the vows that you made to your wife, you're not, you're not doing a good job with your wife. If you don't keep the vows that you made to your husband, you're not doing a good job with your husband, and you don't have a marriage. You have a sarod that you're trying to live. What are the vows? Love them. If you're not doing that, you ain't got no marriage. You need to start over from square one. Just like if you say you're following Jesus and you're not keeping this man, you ain't got no relationship with Jesus. You need to start over from square one. And you know how good God is as he brought you to this place at the time of the harvest so that I could show you how to start over from square one or I could show you how to walk with somebody so that they can teach you about how to start over from square one. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are the Lord of the harvest. Father God, when you sent your disciples out, you said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Father, we have so much opportunity, but we so often get distracted by what we think we're lacking, and we forget about what we have. What we have is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, 
What we have is reconciliation with you through your son, Jesus. Father God, what we have is everything that we need to live a life according to your word, to see our relationship with you blossom and to see impact happen, Father God. We love Thank you for listening this week. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and upcoming events, check out our website at idclifton.com. Again, thank you for listening to the ID Clifton podcast. And remember, love God and love others. See you next week.